On the Empire Podcast this week, we welcome a man from Uncle, Hugh Grant. But please note that he is not the man from Uncle necessarily, though he is apparently an uncle. Uh, We also have this week's movie news, views and reviews on the only movie podcast that is named as a co-respondent in the Miss Piggy Kermit divorce. What can we say? The chemistry was there. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, Chris Hewitt is away on a top-secret mission this week. He is infiltrating a heavily guarded Hollywood base to bring you all the news from one of the biggest films currently in production. So once again, you get me hosting you lucky things, which at least spares us all another introduction about dragons. But fear not, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning that they have successfully hidden the trail of bodies and not left it pointing right to Empire's door. Well done on that, guys. Uh, first up, we have a Hearthstone fan who is never happier than when he negotiates a mulligan phase successfully. It's Ali Plum. I'd just like to say hello. Hello. Also, I'd like to say this is my penultimate podcast. I am leaving Empire. <gasps> this is... It's an era of, of extreme change and upset, and we fear change, Ali. Everything's wrong. Yeah. Next uh, episode will obviously be dedicated entirely to me. It'll be a four-hour special, a bit like 90s TV show This Is Your Life, uh, where, you know, you guys will just talk to me, I'll give you my wisdom, uh-huh. I'll tell you how to edit. It's going to be great. I'll be honest, we've had a little bit of trouble gathering everyone you've ever met to uh, to come in and pay tribute to you. But we're still working on it, Ali. There's still time. Good luck. Yes. There will be some people that you've never met and that don't know you from Adam. Great. <laughs> Do you recognise this voice? No. Hello! <laughs> Michael Aspel is unavailable as well. This is Your Life was only half an hour. It's quite an economical time frame. Oh, shit. <laughs> but remember, there is no crying on podcast. No. So no. stay unemotional. Or in baseball. Like an automaton. Well, you heard him there. That was our art house guru, a man who refuses to play any card game unless it, the rules are at least 300 pages long and written in Serbian. That is Phil de Semlin. Hello. Dobadan. Wow. What, what that was that? That means good afternoon in Serbian. Oh, thank you. I can't pronounce good morning. <laughs> so you just have to deal with it. It's close enough. But thanks. Um, yeah, excellent. So just to be clear, you still work at Empire. I'm still here. Okay, so that's one out of three of us. I mean, that's that's pretty good going. I have a question this week that was not sent in via the usual channels. This was posed to me by a regular podcast listener at a wedding. Uh, so Matthew Jackson, if you're listening, thank you very much. He asked me, and I find this very nearly impossible, which may say more about me than the question, rank the movie Chris's Pine, Pratt, Evans and Hemsworth. So we have there three Marvel leading men, one other franchise leading man, all called Chris, all totally dreamy, and how do we put them in order? This is a tough question. It is a tough question, isn't it? I mean, Very we don't. Tough. Obviously, you Very... know, Matthew didn't actually give me any particular criteria. I mean, if it's on dreaminess, they're obviously all tied for number one. If it's on niceness, it's equally difficult, actually. You know, Pratt and Evans had that amazing Super Bowl um, bet, for, for example, that ended up with both of them going to children's hospitals in character, in costume. You know, I've met Chris Hemsworth. Uh, he's lovely. We've had Chris Pine on this podcast. He's lovely. Uh, I don't know where to start. Because they did that. The Ghostbusters crew did that recently, didn't they? They did, the yes. They go into hospital in character. Yeah. Thank God they didn't do that in the days of Max Shrek. <laughs> Seriously, Nosferatu. <laughs> Good news, kids. Nosferatu's arrived. Oh, no. Um, I think that... I, well, I, I went to IMDb Pro. Okay. The pros at IMDb Pro. Wow. And they've ranked them, helpfully. Oh, uh, cheat. Chris Pratt is way out in front. Really? He's the 19th proiest person in the business at the He's moment. He's so hot right now. He is so hot right he now. He is the handsome. On, on every level, yeah. Yes, yeah, so he is he is 19th wow. most star-rated person in the whole of the Hollywood firmament. And he was Andy Dwyer, which, you know, gets him like a lot of bonus points. Not just that. You and I, Ali, were just talking about this. He was Scott Haderberg in Moneyball. Now, I know that's probably not the one he's famous for. No. That might be Star-Lord. Yes. At this point, or perhaps Jurassic World. But I think he's great in that, as the kid that can really only throw underarm. And Zero Dog 30. Yeah, he was good And up. obviously Andy Dwyer in Parks and Rec. Yeah. His first toll. And he seems to be the guy that, every time there's a reboot, his name comes up. It does, Someone yeah. that you want to get in there. Yeah. Um, he's my number one at the moment. Oh, he you're prob- number one, and IMDb's. At the moment, he's probably the right answer, but we're ignoring Christopher Mintz Platt's. Or class, uh, he seems to, he could take them all on. Well, I haven't told you my number two yet. <laughs> I would sorry, I would just love to see Christopher Mintz Platts take on Chris Hemsworth. It's the grudge match everyone <laughs> everyone wants more than the actual film grudge match. That's true. It is Mintz Platts against which one? Sorry. Well, uh, any of any them, of all them. of them, all of them, but particularly Hemsworth. I think the the, the disparity in in size would be delightful. We got a flavour of that, didn't we, in Scott Pilgrim? 
We did. With, uh, with, Chris, <laughs> with Evans, Chris Evans, which was hilarious. Yes, And gets him a lot of points. It does. This. He gets yeah. a lot of points for Scott Pilgrim. Um, Very few for Push or Fantastic Four in my book. I like Push. Yes, but... And he's one of the best things in the Fantastic Four. This is true. Him and Chicklis do so much heavy lifting in a film that shouldn't require that much heavy lifting. I feel like we're going to get back to that in a little while. I agree. Chicklis um, had to do a lot of heavy lifting just to stand up in that costume. He did. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Chris Pine also this week gets bonus points for Wet Hot American Summer First Day of Camp. And if you haven't seen that yet, and if you have Netflix, I would recommend it uh, because it is very, very funny. He loses a multitude of points for this is this is war. This means war. I like what this is. This means oh war God, war. what's happening? I don't know why, but I really Ooh. do. Ooh. I give it three stars for this magazine. One hundred forty-three on the IMDb Pros. Wow. Okay. So he's the bottom of the Chris's if you're looking at it purely from a IMDb Pro metrics. Okay. And they bear in mind these guys have a laboratory where well, they work I mean, this stuff out. Wearing white coats, I believe. So, so who comes second in the on the proometer? Well, who do you think? No, sorry, that sounded. Who do you who do you think? I don't know. Do you? Research? I would guess. No, who do you think? Correct. Because because he has Huntsman as well as Avengers and, and yeah. Paul. When you got a Marvel in the bag, you're you're pretty much sorted, aren't you? True, true. And Evans <laughs> has got now got DC in the bag. He does. Doesn't he? Does he? Does he have? Uh, well, he had double Marvel. No, I'm thinking. Sorry, I got my Chris's mixed up, which is oh. bad in the context of this debate. <laughs> um, Pine has got a DC in the bag. Oh yes, because he's yes, Roger, he Steve, Steve, John, 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 Trevor, Trevor, John, Trevor, John, Steve, Trevor, Trevor Slattery in the new Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> Tony Slattery. Yep. In the Tony Slattery biopic, A Wonder Woman. Yes. The Tony Slattery biopic is called Wonder Woman. <laughs> yes. I mean, Thank it's God. an unusual, um, well, unusual choice there. Um, so, so have we got? We haven't got a definitive answer. No, we, we? clear that up. No, I think, but as I think, well as we could. Yeah, I think I think we've done the best anyone could possibly do. Chris Cooper, Chris for me, Cooper. Chris Cooper. Right, that's because number one. He's done top work with horses in movies. Uh huh. Sea Biscuit. Yeah. And you made it sound like there was the a movie horse whisperer Biscuit that we should see. <laughs> and Biscuit. Can't forget. He's done top work with Biscuits as well. Okay. And also, I just really like Chris Cooper. I mean, he's he one doesn't. of those guys, he's the classic sort of 27, 28% or even. Comes Ooh. in and, you know, just, he can do stuff. He's gnarly in spy contexts, mm-hmm. such as Bourne, of course. We play Conklin. And um, he's got, yeah, he's just a very versatile character actor. But uh, yeah, he's probably not in this in this bracket of stardom. I mean, with no disrespect to Chris Cooper, <laughs> he's not quite as dreamy as, as the other four. We're forgetting uh, Christian Bale and, of course, Chris Cross. So just remember, okay. Chris What's your favourite Chris they, they Cross? They would make us jump, what? jump. Yeah. Who's my favourite between Christian Bale and Chris Cross? Don't put me in that position, <laughs> Phil. It's not. <laughs> Which is your favourite Chris Cross? Is it Chris or Cross? Well, I think Christian Bale does Cross really well. So I think when it comes to getting Cross, it's probably Christian Bale. Right. Okay. Well, let me let me put this to you as a huge fan, of course, of the Big Lebowski mm. mm-hmm. or Le Grand Lebowski, as mm. I like to call it. Um, you have not mentioned Chris Christopherson. No, I haven't. Which has been noted, and just, it's disappointing. I think we're leaving out Chris's with a K, aren't we? Who says? Oh. We just oh, put Christopher Mintz Platts in here. Yeah. He's not really a Chris, is he? Well, if you're... We're, get, we're getting too deep down the rabbit hole. I think if you're a Christopher, we're going to give you a Chris. And also there's Chris Hewer of Hostel 2 fame, so can't forget him. Yeah, so, so we're thinking, what, him number one? <laughs> uh, and then Chris Pratt? Given he'll be giving my career obituary next uh, episode, yes, yes. Chris Hewitt number one. <laughs> All right, well, that, that neatly uh, wraps that one up. Uh, so sorry, everyone, and thanks, Matthew, for that question. If you are not attending a social gathering with one of us in the near future, you can, of course, send in your questions at, via the usual channels. We are on uh, Facebook at Empire Magazine. We are on Twitter, also at Empire Magazine. Please hashtag it. Empire Podcast. Um, and we are also, of course, on email. It is podcast at empireonline.com. All right. So on to this week's movie news. Now, can anyone tell me why I have Salt and Pepper's song Shoop in my head? Only if you sing it. I, I think that might be a breach of copyright. <laughs> That's a good excuse. Because your singing will be so like the original so recording. Like it. <laughs> just to put it into context, Helen did just sing this in the office and it was very impressive. Oh, I didn't know you. you could do that. I thought it was pushing it. Oh, God. Oh. So, because of the Deadpool trailer? That's right. Let's talk about that just for a minute. Obviously, this is an audio medium and we shouldn't spend too much time on trailers, but there was a Deadpool trailer and it was cool. Am yeah. I right? Yeah, it was slightly different to the Comic Con one, but it is very, 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 very similar to the one we saw at Comic Con. The one at Comic Con had. Stanley in it. 
you saw him as a DJ, spoiler alert, uh, in, <gasps> in, a, in, a, uh, in a club. But as that will no doubt come out at some point, and it's also on the internet, please excuse me. Yeah, really, let's say, what is the word? Bloody, yes, yes. really bloody. <laughs> it is It is a Red Band trailer, and is this will be the Marvel movie, made by Fox, that you will hopefully, hopefully, watch in a cinema with no kids. True. You'll go to the cinema, and there won't be any kids around. Though, we mentioned, was it on our Sleep Free podcast, mm-hmm. how when we watched uh, the Deadpool trailer at Comic-Con, did I mention that? There were three kids behind us, all wearing Deadpool t-shirts and both parents were with them also wearing Deadpool t-shirts <laughs> and I don't think the kids any of them were above 10 wow. mm. tops 12 um, they actually showed it last night before the Fantastic Four screening uh, and the audience was actually there was a fair smattering of kids in that audience and obviously the language is a little bit a little bit salty a little fruity and uh, so I was a bit like ooh goodness I'm not sure those parents knew what they were in for when they when they brought them to this the language is not only fruity but there's a bit where he uses one bullet to fire through three people's heads you can see the blood and brains spewing out so there uh, is that that's which, true. whichever way you cut it I mean there's a joke about an avocado having sex with another avocado which I think is just about okay but yeah it's a full on red band trailer and, and here's to the movie sticking to its guns a pause for laughter Yeah, so that was fun. Uh, So if you haven't seen that already, check it out. And of course, we have a trailer breakdown on the site, which is actually very, very good. Uh, Director Tim Miller talks us through the whole thing and uh, and gives away a few little secrets of what we can can expect uh, from Deadpool. Uh, There was a little bit of Harry Potter related news today, wasn't there? Yes, I can see here that it says get supermodel eyebrows in under two minutes. Brooklyn Beckham set for a film career. No, you're looking up at the page. uh, Sorry, uh, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> Colin Farrell on for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Ah, there we go. That sounds more like it. Which is the Harry Potter prequel off, uh, spinny off. There was another story all along. Uh, American <laughs> set film. Mm. Incidentally, this is an odd thing, but uh, if you go to iPlay Radio and you're a UK person, you can listen to J.K. Rowling's Desert Island Discs, which is currently uh, on, you know, whatever it's called, Catch Up. And you can hear her talk about in the year 2000. It's a very interesting time for her, just before the movies came out, where she was at at that point. She tells the stories of, of, of how Harry Potter kind of came to be, which was really interesting. So totally, oh. totally a, a footnote there. But if you are in the UK, do check it out. It's up there, obviously, for a month because of Excellent. good old iPlayer. So have a listen to that. But yes, we have Colin Farrell, our king of brooding uh, angst guilt. and guilt. Yeah, guilt yes. is his thing, I think. Off the back of True Detective 2, which obviously everybody loved, not true. <laughs> uh, somebody I read on our Facebook page today said, was it just me or did True Detective 2 feel like Star Wars prequels all over again? Uh, which I think is a bit harsh on Star Wars prequels. Uh, so, yes, he has this role. It's not clear who he'll be, but I, I'd like to see him as a wizard. Yeah. Like in full cape and garb. <laughs> I want there to be somewhere in the wizarding world of Harry Potter the Colin Farrell wand. Yeah. Um, but that seems like Don't, you're making a dirty joke. But mm. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drop, uh, just just walk quickly, past that quickly one. Quickly go past just... that one. Um, I think I, I read somewhere he's playing a character called Graves. Of course, that doesn't really tell us anything. And this is, of course, the 1920s-ish set, New York-based. I think Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them with Eddie Redmayne in the lead. They are apparently building what may be the biggest set ever built in the UK. Out at Leavesden at the moment for this. They're recreating 1920s New York, I they, hope. They basically are. They're basically building Manhattan, as I understand it. So it's going to be a very, very big... I'm hoping for a really, really cool-looking film. I'm hoping for Gatsby meets Potter, which has me so excited, I can't even tell you. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. This um, I think he's he can be a really good actor in the right role. So, fingers crossed, this is that. What else have we got? I've I've heard rum, rumblings and rumours of a new Bad Boys. Yes, we've got them here. Yes, 30 amazing Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Again, location. just look up a bit, a, a, oh, yeah. a bit higher. Sony plans two new Bad Boys films. Rummaged in their big bag of old properties and pulled out Mike Lowry. Will Smith needs to be back. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to work. That's true. So that would give Will Smith some bargaining power on this one, and and Martin Lawrence too, which would be an unfamiliar sensation for him. Michael, and Michael Bay, I reckon. I don't think he's going to direct it, but I can no. imagine him going, "Yeah, you can have this, but check, please." Yeah. <laughs> don't you want the island? No. <laughs> so the the yeah, I don't know. I mean, the first one, if you look at the box office, the first one did reasonably okay yeah. without a lot of expectation. The second one did did a lot better. And in the current climate, you would have imagined they would have gone to make a third one back yeah. then. 
But yeah. in those days, they didn't do that so much. To and be honest, they've been trying for a while, though, haven't they? They have been, been trying. Rumours for a long time. They have been, and yeah, it seems like it's well. They've got release dates, so it's it's happening. Yeah, um, the Greys, Joe Carnahan, who's who's a yeah, I mean, we're fans of in the office, has been attached to this for a long time, but things just haven't really worked out. I don't think there was the impetus behind it, but let's let's just say it. Sony's had a lot of trouble this year. Uh, the phrase, you know, no breakout hits uh, is, is is bounding around the internet. And after the lack of success with Pixels, which you'd hope would be a sneaky little saviour, mm. I can just see. Let's just do it. Yeah. Ghostbusters is on the way, but there aren't that many big things going on. It used to be the Spider-Man franchise, and obviously that is still ongoing, like working with Marvel. But on the horizon, there ain't that much. Well, they- there's Bond. There's Bond, but it's, it, yeah. they, they don't make that as such, but obviously they put the money up for it. Complicated situation. They do have uh, Edgar Wright's latest, Baby Driver. That's coming out on March the 17th, 2017. But these two bad boy films, bad boys films, are coming out. They've already got dates for February the 17th, 2017, and July the 3rd, 2019. So, flags in the ground here. They're, it's happening. It is happening. All right. Uh, speaking of happening, uh, that this isn't a link at all. Never mind. Uh, Resident Evil, I believe, is welcoming back a returning cast member in the shape of Ali Larter. Um, Thank God. Is anyone as excited about this as I am? Never watched one of them. I've watched all of them, and I'm not very excited. I'll be honest, but um, but that's because you've watched all of them. I've watched all of them, and the last one is one of the most barmy films I've ever seen. Uh, absolutely mental. This is the White House one. It finished off, yeah. It was it was in an underground Arctic base for most of the film that, in because of holograms, looked like sixty million different places. And now uh, they they ended up emerging from that and and somehow ending up at the White House and finding the White House under siege from zombie hordes, which are also monster hordes at this point. And some of them are like dragony things and monster dog thingies and just monsters. Basically, every bad guy the series has ever had essentially multiplied by 100 attacking the white house and you've got the basically you know all of these kind of sandbag walls around it and helicopters taking on the dragony things overhead and huge flamethrowers trying to set fire to all these zombies and that was basically the closing moments of number five so we'll probably start number six and it'll be another new Miljovovich somewhere on the other side of the world doing something completely different. But that is the kind of craziness that's going on in these films now. And hey, adding old cast members can only make it crazier. I'm just hoping it ends in a scientific lab somewhere in Wales. <laughs> I feel that's what the franchise deserves. It seems to be heading that way. To a small Welsh town. Yeah, maybe a, maybe a Doctor Who actor could be in there. I don't know. I, I like where you're going. All films should end that way now. It should be contractual. <laughs> what is your favourite single thing about this franchise? I mean, honestly, I don't like the franchise particularly. I've just seen it a lot. I guess Mila Jovovich is my favourite thing because I still like her because she's got a lot of lingering goodwill from me for uh, for Lilu. But I, I, I don't know why I've seen them all. I just have. Do you think, yeah. do you think one day Evil will actually just buy the house <laughs> and just move in and it will officially be the homeowner and then we can have a new franchise? Freehold Evil. Love it. Yeah. Really You'd like to see a that. film called Gazumping Evil. Mm. Also good. Or maybe that's the plot. Maybe it's just <laughs> set property in the sort wrangling. Of, in the hard world of property. I think it's Miller Yolvich punching Foxton's employees. Yeah. I mean, people would watch that. Yeah, they would. That could work. Hey, guess what? Yay. Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg. Yes. The Bergs, as they know, nobody calls them. They're working together right now, aren't they? They're on, working together right now. On Deepwater Horizon. They can't stop working together. Deepwater Horizon which is the film that J.C. Chandor was going to make about the oil spillage in the Gulf of Mexico. And um, Peter Berg stepped in and took over that one, and that is happening. And now they're going on to make Patriots Day together, which is another true life-inspired drama thriller, I guess. More of a drama, probably, set around the the time of the Boston bombings in 2003. Mm. 2013. Yeah. Um, And so quite a serious... Quite a serious piece of work. But Peter Berg's always kind of had a bit of that, hasn't he? He's, he's yeah. done bigger, splashy things, but he's also done The Kingdom and things that are very plugged into the world. Well, yeah, um, the original Friday Night Lights film. Friday Night Lights, and, and even Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Yeah, yeah. so he's, he's an interesting guy because he kind of spans, almost heads towards Michael Bay terrain with things like Battleship. And then he's also clearly a man that's engaged in the world in a way mm-hmm. that perhaps mm-hmm. Michael Bay isn't. From Battleship um, to Battleship Potemkin. That's very good. <laughs> no, it's not. Peter, Be- <laughs> Peter Berg's Battleship Potemkin. 
I've, with my, Mark Wahlberg my as God, the battleship. I watched that. I've watched that so <laughs> so many times. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is an interesting one. I mean, um, I'll be honest. I was on Deepwater Horizon recently, and and they were talking quite a lot about respecting the the people who actually died in that disaster. And I imagine that they they will be very careful here again to kind of tread that line. And and pay proper tribute to to the real people who lost their lives in the in the marathon bombing. So um, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Challenging, and I think maybe Oliver Stone had this issue with the World Trade Center movie. If you if you come in too close to the events, there's a danger that it becomes overly respectful. Mm-hmm. Not that you wouldn't want to obviously respect the, the victims of such a terrible tragedy, but at the same time, you need to you need a bit of you know a bit of oomph and a bit of heft as well. You can't be too you can't be too Fad sort of delicate with yeah, it. Yeah, tiptoeing. Yeah, you can't tiptoe around things. So, but I mean, I don't know. This is a film that seems to have been. It, I mean, it obviously, can't have been because it's not that long ago. But it seems to have been around, buzzing in the ether for a while now. Yeah. Um, the idea that they made this film. It just feels a bit soon. I have to say. I mean, we haven't seen a film. We haven't seen a film about the seven seven bombings in London like that actually tackles the day yet. I don't think so. Yeah. Things that sort of talk around it. Um, so it's a tough one for a filmmaker really to know how to handle that. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he does with it. Um, and then finally, uh, they keep coming up despite my best efforts. Dragons again, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Just don't it's, don't fear I th- the dragon. I feel like chat. we have to we have to touch on this because it's it's coming back to the big screen. It's really, I mean, it was barely on the big screen because the last few films have been so bad um, that at least two of them went straight to video. But Dungeons and Dragons, a new movie. Wow. I just hope it has another character called Farmer. In the original <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, uh, it had Jason Statham as a character called Farmer, and it's very bad. But this is a property that I guess makes sense. Like I understand it's a got some name recognition. Dungeons and Dragons. It's you know a Ron Seal title, right? I think I can just about work out that this what genre this film might be in, what I can expect. But doesn't have the greatest pedigree cinematically <laughs> that is an understatement but obviously you know it's worth wait for it another roll of the dice oh, okay yeah you guys wow yep you that see why was, i'm leaving guys what did you say that was a thing that just happened mm-hmm. yeah 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 just don't don't just pretend you didn't hear phil just keep just minus keep one charisma i mean i would say uh, this is a franchise uh that so far is worse than <laughs> resident evil by quite some distance so like you know <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be hard to do a lot worse by Dungeons and Dragons than they already have. So in that sense, this uh-huh. is good news. Yes. On the balance of probabilities, it will be a better film than we have previously seen, bearing the title Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, remake the films that are bad. Yeah. Will it be up to the standards of the 1980s cartoon where a bunch of kids on a fairground ride oh, ended yeah. up in a fantasy land and I was totally addicted and had to go up and watch it every single week? I don't know. Who can say you loved Who that, didn't say? you? I did love that, yeah. You did love that. I've got a couple of things that I'd also like to mention. Yeah, We've talked do. about, this is kind of brings in two ideas of a movie like World War Z, which I alluded to earlier, which has an ending which is relatively small, and then bringing out old franchises like Bad Boys uh, because you just want to keep that train going. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, the fifth Mission Impossible mm. movie, mm-hmm. made money. A lot of money. Dollar, dollar bills, yo. It made the money, especially in the US, which hauled in $56 million, which proves... I don't know whether it proves that Tom Cruise can still pull in big money. He can always pull in money. But this, combined with the franchise of Mission Impossible, is obviously enough. And the critical praise that was heaped upon it, I think it's 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, mm. confidently the best in the series. We talked about it last week. Making a lot of cash. Unfortunately, the Vacation reboot, starring Ed Helms, did not go anywhere good, uh, oh. making barely any cash. But there you have it. Tom Cruise still going strong. And, you know, what we were saying last week about there being a sequel already planned, already trying to make it. Yeah. Brilliant. I also like any story where a movie makes a tactical decision to move things earlier, reshoots, gets stuff sorted, you know, gets its head down, and it works. Because so often you hear, oh, reshoots, what does that mean? Oh, moving the date, what does that mean? You know what? As Goldman says, Nobody knows anything. Yeah. So it worked. It was great. I saw it on Monday. Would very much recommend it. And here's to another movie. Here's to another movie. And amen to that. Well, another, any movie. Uh, here's to movies. Just movies. <laughs> Guys, If I, there's one thing I want to say. Films, good. Good decision, I think. I might have probably part, half killed Christopher McQuarrie, but they're moving it into a very quiet summer. Very, very quiet. 
Where time right. yes away from very very busy end of the year yes and i think that's paying dividends for them 100 percent. you're a massive ufc fan aren't you phil i love ufc you're a really big fan i of, love all aliens of woundy wadda wowsy wowsy couch that wowdy wowdy wowsy season ronda rousey Ron, ronda rousey Randy. is pro- probably safest not to mispronounce her name in case she comes in here and, and beats us all to a pulp randy rowdy ronda rousey Everyone's favourite Fast and the Furious 7 actress. She was also in Entourage. But she is the notoriously kick-ass, inverted commas, badass UFC fighter who is intimidating to say the least. But she is going to star in her own biopic. Yes. So this is a lot like Howard Stern, if you remember that film. Which was a good film. Good film. Certainly did something. Uh, This will be her life story. She's 28 and she wrote the book with her elder sister and uh, her, her autobiography, her memoirs, and now the memoirs are becoming a film. There was a fight, not a physical one, over the rights, and we're going to have uh, Dawn of the Planet Apes' uh, Mark Bomback adapting the book My Fight, Your Fight, and she will star in it. I uh, kind of love everything about this. Recently yeah. she was in a fight where she knocked out her opponent in 34 seconds, yeah. which annoyingly beat my record by eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her roles so far have not... They have not had to to demonstrate a huge acting range. She has not been called upon to do so. So it's hard to say, you know, how far that range goes. And, and you know, from from the little I know of her backstory, there is some, some real sort of drama and some real tragedy there. So I hope that that will be something she can she can you know honestly express and clearly express on screen but uh, but she is a you know fascinating figure and a really really tough lady so you wouldn't bet against her i mean you'd be a fool i hope she gets into character i hope she can really like channel down <laughs> and do the research required fingers crossed Hugh Grant is back this month in Guy Ritchie's The Man from Uncle, where he plays Waverly. And we could tell you more about his character, but we'd, then we'd have to kill you. So uh, I went along recently to ask him about his role and his career to date, and his uncle, who was an actual spy. So I have literally run here from Warner Brothers, having just seen uh, The Man from Uncle, okay. which was tremendous <laughs> fun. It's a little bit difficult to talk about your role because you kind of come in quite late into the film. So, so what can you tell us? Uh, yeah, I pop up mysteriously once or twice and you think who is this guy <laughs> and, and why does he look like Hugh Grant <laughs> yes and then uh, it gradually becomes clear that I'm a I'm a British spy mm-hmm. and I'm after the same thing that the Russian spy and the American spy are after and uh, that in fact I've kind of outwitted them and I'm running them and uh, and that is the genesis of the uncle team yeah so the whole film is like a prequel to itself it is a bit, isn't mm. it? I mean, uh, you you basically, in, in that sense, are the hero and get to order every the ostensible heroes of the film about. All right, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so were you a fan of the original series? Well, yeah, I am old enough to have watched it. Right. And um, I think I did like it. I, I mean, I was going through my old toy box at my dad's house mm-hmm. the other day, looking for toys for my kids. And there is a man from Uncle Carr. Oh, really? You press the top and... Ilya Kirakin and Napoleon Soto pop out of the side, <laughs> fire their guns. Oh, that sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, I was I was wondering about that because I wasn't sure, you know, where you old enough? Because my mum was a huge fan, but you're a good bit younger than she is, so I wasn't going to presume anything. <laughs> but it was kind of interesting because she had a, a clear favourite, and I think a lot of people, she says, have had a very clear favourite between Solo mm. and Kuryakin. For yeah. you, was it more about the gadgets? It was less about the sex <laughs> for me as a young Eight-year-old boy, I think, than about the gadgets, yes. So how did, how did Guy pitch this to you? Was it, hey, we're going to go to Rome, come along for a jolly? <laughs> I, I've always loved his things. I, you know, he's so unusual for a British film director in that he's so sort of pyrotechnic. Hmm. And uh, I vaguely know him. I've met him at parties. His father, oddly enough, was a great friend of my father's in the army. Oh. And uh, my father once had to pull his father out of a porthole that he'd got stuck in on a troop ship. Uh, Do you know this, why he was in the porthole? Well, he was quite a character, I think, John Ritchie, his dad, or I say was, is, is he still alive? Uh, and uh, I think for a stunt, he was trying to get through a porthole naked. But I may be getting all this wrong. <laughs> anyway, they were buddies in the army. And uh, funnily enough, my dad gave me a picture during shooting of him and Guy Ritchie's father and another officer all standing there in their khaki shorts like something out of It Ain't Half Hot Mum in Malaya in the 1950s. And weirdly, that third army officer, his grandson, was also working on this film. Wow. So Guy was so excited by this, we then recreated the picture in original costumes with him, me, and this 
young guy who is, I think was a production runner or something. And um, yeah, we got the costume designer to do the whole thing. At one point, guys seemed more interested in this recreation than the film. <laughs> That's awesome. So it makes it a real family affair in some ways. Yeah. Some strange yeah, way. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned, I'm sorry, you're going to get asked this a lot because it's in the production notes that you think your uncle was a spy. Yeah, we're never really allowed to admit it. Mm. But uh, yes, he was just officially in the Navy. He had some strange postings like Washington mm. uh, for a man in the Navy. And, and he was, yeah, he was, he was a spy. And I used a little bit of him and his type in Waverley. There's a sort of British brand of espionage, mm. which is quite insouciant and sort of easy. You'd never know. They're just normal guys. Whereas I think that the CIA version and the KGB version is more professional up front. It seems like we suddenly have quite a lot of Cold War dramas again, because they, they sort of died when the wall came down for a good, more than a decade, a decade mm. and a half, two decades maybe. And, and suddenly they're kind of in the resurgence again. Well, there's a great romance to all that. I sort of miss it. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> which is weird, because in many ways it was, it was terrifying, particularly the threat of imminent extinction through nuclear holocaust. But it may come back. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> But it, it is interesting because it seems like spying has become, you know, it's very political at the moment. It's very talked about at the moment. And yet we're still fascinated with the kind of the old school romance of spying and the old school kind of methods that went on. I just, it's clearly more romantic to be a spy who had to actually um, take Minox photographs of things than some nerd sitting in front of a computer doing a bit of wizardry. Yes. Yeah. And hacking into a million people at a time instead of... Yes, you know. all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Waverly, obviously, is the only other major character in this film that was in the original series. So mm. did you go back and watch it? Were, were, there, were there things you wanted to pick up, or are you very much... I take it from the script. And well, I, did, I did rent the old series and had a look at it, but, I mean, it's so far away from all this, apart from the central concept, mm. which remains a great one, you know, that you get KGB spy and a CIA spy together, masterminded by a British spy to do various deeds that's great uh but i mean after that it's a million miles away and so it was a sort of reinvention yeah it's, it feels like it might have a space this summer just because we're kind of inundated with fantasy films and superheroes and sci-fi and and suddenly there's spies which is what it'll be interesting to see if all those young kids who who like the 3d stuff would also appreciate something a little more analog <laughs> quite literally analog in that there yeah, are tapes yeah yeah i love the film's vision of a computer disc is is absolutely yes i agree <laughs> um so what else have you got planned have you have you have you made a plan for once you finish uh, florence or are you well i've now just finished florence okay uh and i'm having a little holiday i've got a couple of quite interesting scripts on my desk but i don't know if i if i'll do them or not do you feel like now like the, the pressure's off like you're in you know the stage of your career where you can Pick and choose well, I one. never felt any pressure. That is the honest truth. I probably should have done. But I've always thought, as soon as I finish the film, I don't think I'll do any more. And then something comes along that tickles your interest. Yeah. But, I mean, are you interested in stage or TV? Because, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of actors nowadays sort of being lured away from the big screen to, to something else. Uh, it turns out that, I haven't really been following this, that the, the film industry has tra changed dramatically. And... Um, the films that the studios make are only these big uh, digital video game type things. And that anyone who wants to make the sort of films that I used to make, they, they have to be made for television or video on demand now. And uh, I slightly regret that because I like, I like the... I've always liked the romance of film. Something magical and special. And you sit in a cinema and a projector starts. Celluloid runs through a projector and... Uh, it had romance. I struggle slightly with the lack of romance. Mm. Do you think there's a way to bring it back? Well, I don't know. I think it's conceivable that the world could start to feel digital ennui, not just in terms of these big digital video game films, but just generally an exhaustion with your bloody telephone <laughs> coming at you all the time. I think it's just possible that might happen. Or maybe I'm, I just sound like an old bastard. And, and, but I'm told all these people who used to make films where people talk to each other are quite happy to make them for television or, you know, mm. cable or video on demand now. They're not, they're not queenie about it. I'm fractionally queenie because I, as I say, I just used to love 
big screens, big cinemas, hundreds, thousands of people watching a film together. Do you have sort of ambitions of people to work with? Do you have like a, a dance card you still want to fill? Uh, no, I've, I still think that I should buckle down and write and direct a film. I think I would enjoy it. I feel reinvigorated, especially by just working with Stephen Frears. He's so, he, he loves films so much and um, he's so interesting about the filmmakers he loves, the, the Nick Rogues and the Powell and Pressburgers and all that. And it sort of got me interested again and just at a time, of course, when that kind of filmmaking is dead. <laughs> but there is something to that, I think, with, with the great directors have such passion and such fascination with everything not just film but like everything around film all the stories that they tell that it seems to kind of rub off well i think that's true but they above all what the great if i had to pick a common characteristic of the great directors that i've come across polanski and ken russell and stephen frears and guy ritchie they appreciate what film can do that no other medium can do otherwise there's no point in making it on as a film if it's just going to be blown up television or filmed theatre, or uh, a dramatised novel. Forget it. But what they know about is these you, the unique thing that a really big image and uh, can do with the right soundtrack, the right mix, and the right mix of elements of music, sound, picture. Uh, there is a kind of sorcery there. Listen, I'm running out of time, but I, I should ask before I go, I mean, obviously, um, you find that, that awesome-sounding toy from the old man from Uncle. Do you look forward to being an action figure in the future if this, if this does become a franchise? <laughs> That's really why I did the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you been an a action figure before, actually? No, and I'm very bitter about it. That's an out outrage. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to end on a dying note. Yeah. But, uh, Hugh Grant, <laughs> thank you very, very much. All right, well, thank you. Yeah, very nice man there, as you would expect. He, he's basically a lot like Hugh Grant on screen. Yeah, we had him in before for that film, which was unfortunately the not, yeah, yeah. not the best. But he's a lovely man. Mm. Uh, has a sore back. Yes, seemed to be better. He seemed didn't complain be this time, so Good. fingers crossed. Uh, reviews time now, uh, and we begin with a film that's been clobbered with worrying gossip and tittle-tattle for months now. It's Josh Trank's new take on The Fantastic Four, starring Miles Teller, Kate Mara, Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Bell, with Toby Kebbell as their friend-turned-doom. Ali, you wrote the review. What did we make of this? Well, yes, just to give this movie a little bit of setup, uh, if you remember the 2005 and 2008 uh, very colourful, bright and spangly original uh, movies, which were very good, I think it's fair to say, but did serve the purpose of making young kids happy, this movie isn't looking to do that. It's taking the colourful, bright, Stanley original superhero team world of Mr Fantastic, who can stretch, and uh, the Invisible Woman, who can guess what, go invisible and also project force fields and kind of levitate with that power. The Thing, uh, Ben Grimm, who is a massive rock monster, let's be honest, he is a massive rock monster. Yep. Super strength, you, you kind of know this story. Johnny Storm, you know, he can fly, he's also covered in flames when he wants to, can shoot balls of fire. Great cast, Miles Teller playing, this is in order of what I said, Miles Teller, Kate Mara, Jamie Bell and Michael B. Jordan. Great cast. We've got yep. a great director here in the form of Josh Trank who produced Chronicle, made Chronicle, which was a really great movie that dealt with superhero powers and people love that. Yeah. All seems good. Simon Kimberg's producing, also co-writing, also good. From the studio that brought you X-Men Days of Future Past comes a very gritty, very dour, quite dull attempt to rejig, I think, the most bright and cuddly group of superheroes that I can think of. Yeah. Into... Certainly in terms of major superheroes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. There are, you know, Bonnie Wabbit's three friends, I'm sure, would, would probably beat it. But <laughs> Power pack, even even, even cuddlier. Even cuddlier. <laughs> this tries to grittify or Nolanize or whatever cliche you want to use, and I certainly do, that team of how they get given these powers, this time through an inter interdimensional jump. They go to another dimension, and on that dimension there is some green lava. And guess what they do? They only bloody go and walk towards the spooky oh, green lava. And why? the spooky green lava, it actually gives them superpowers. So they come back from the interdimensional jump and they have superpowers. But this plays off the idea of, you know what, if you actually woke up and you were on fire, this would be really scary. And if you were suddenly made of rock, this would be appalling. And they touched on that, mm. touched, gently grazed on that in the 2005-2008 movies. But not really. This tries to do something with it, but unfortunately it's very muddled and 
it has a lot of the movie filled full of scientific montages because they have to make this dimensional jump equipment. Yeah. Where Kate Mara, you'll see her two or three times at a computer typing and they try to make that cinematic. Type, 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 look at a screen. Type, 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 look at a screen. Hey, somebody welds at one point, okay? There's right. welding. Someone welds and then that person welding asks the other person, hey, have you welded before? And that person says, yes. Oh, it's amazing. This movie also has dialogue, which is very much what is happening and what needs to happen next. It's not exactly like this, but it's a bit, hey, we need to open that door. Okay, you open the door. It's a bit like that. Also, and I want to make this point, even though it might reveal a bit too, bit too much of the film, might give a bit too much away, the reason why they go to the interdimensional jump, these scientists, the first time, is because they get drunk. And what do they get drunk on? The smallest hip flask I've ever seen. In fairness, there is a line about we need another refill of this. So they've had a couple of refills, mm. one hopes, because mm. you're right, it is the tiniest flask ever. Um, also, it slightly annoyed me, and this will be predictable to anyone who's ever heard me speak, uh, Kate doesn't go. Sue Storm does not go, because she's not allowed to hang out with the guys when they're drinking and bonding. She's too sensible. To... She's too sensible. She's off somewhere. She's literally off somewhere being a goody two-shoes, at which she continues to be throughout the film. It is... It's a real mess. This you do not see them together, powered up. The four, the lineup of the four, for ninety minutes. The movie is a hundred minutes long. I mean, seriously. This film is called the Fantastic Four. It is not the Fantastic Four. If that could be the soundbite, if that's the bit that you take out of it, great. Because you, as you say, don't see the Fantastic Four. It's only at the very end that you can vaguely say they're the Fantastic Four. It also tries to have its cake and eat it. It tries to be gritty and different and dark and make this a more grounded, actually, what if? It's to be admired. But at the same time, come the end with Doctor Doom, who, of course, turns up and is evil and bad and wears a cape, it's boom and pow and smash and zam and, and all the stuff that you thought this movie wasn't going to do. So much so, in fact, that those lines from the comics, it's clobbering time, get clobbered in. It's just really, yeah. no, you're not. You wouldn't dare. Oh, God, you did. Oh, God, you did. This is a movie that doesn't have a Stan Lee cameo. When I heard that, great, because this is pitching itself as the kind of movie that wouldn't have one. Though this is like very much his baby, he's not in it because it wouldn't fit. How would you crowbar him? Would he be one of the guys sweeping in the back of the scientific lab? Who knows? And yet they sneak in it's clobbering time. Yeah, I had I had major, major problems by the third act. I even had problems with the opening. At the opening, we see Ben Grimm and, and uh, Reed Richards get together when they're about 10. And it does not add anything. You could cut off easily 10 minutes of that and give it to the end of the film, which is incredibly truncated and benefit hugely. Doom is the worst designed major character I have seen in I don't know how long. I, I, like, it reminded me of X-Men Origins Wolverine, the the bad guy at the end of that. It was an, a horrendous, horrendous design. Whoever signed off on that version, ugh, I, I did not like him at all. The, the other thing is at the very end, when they have this big final confrontation, vital exposition is being shouted against a whirlwind type thing. I had no clue what the heck they were saying for quite some time. I had to figure it out from the graphics. This film is all exposition yeah. and very, very little payoff. In the review, trying to write it, I tried my level best to think of all the stuff that is good in it. And I think it was important to do that because this isn't a the camera fell over disaster. No. It's just, bluntly, not very good or rather not good enough. Yeah. You know, points for trying. So it's kind of like C for effort, but the execution just fails. Also, I just want to say, and this might be a tiny spoiler, the very last moment of the film, and there is no post-credit sting in this one, but the very last moment of the film is virtually identical to the ending of another major blockbuster this summer. It's embarrassing. In the last two and a half months, somebody should have looked at that and re-edited. There has got to have been a better way to finish the film than an identical one to a bigger movie this year. And I think that's a real... That's, that's an example of just the way that they just kind of... It'll do. They just threw it up there. So, yeah. It had a troubled production, or so the rumours say, and it certainly comes across as messy. There yeah. are timeline jumps. There are characters that just get forgotten about and then come back in. Johnny Storm doesn't turn up until about 25 minutes into the movie. It is a shame, and uh, I would not recommend this film. But at the same time, I don't really want to go absolutely bananas on it in the way I did, say, for Prometheus. 
but still uh, unfortunately yeah. Two stars is not a recommendation. I think if you go in with low expectations, you may be pleasantly surprised. Certainly good performances. I didn't have a problem. Very, very good cast. But but yeah, two stars feels about right for me. All right. So next up is a film that's nearly a perfect opposite. Uh, Royal Night Out's Belle Powley. Uh, she played Princess Margaret there. She is living the dream this time. She's seducing Alexander Skarsgård. The only problem is <laughs> she's playing a 15-year-old and he's her mum's boyfriend. So, Living Phil. the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what did you think of this? This is this this I'm happy to be a counterpoint to to Fantastic Four because this film is very, very good. Yeah. I really liked it. Um it reminded me a little bit of Carol Morley's The Falling, which is another film which is which really captures I mean, I haven't been a teenage girl for some time, <laughs> if ever, but it really captures I think a lot of things that other and few films do about that, that sort of period of, of there are a lot of films about coming of age teenage boys but there probably aren't really enough about the uh, the girl side of the equation and here's one with with Belle Powley who as you say she stole the show in a royal night out she's yeah, really she good did. in that she's very very good in this as a 15 year old San Francisco teenager set in the 70s lots of great period detail and she's really talented her American accent is flawless mm-hmm. uh, her mum Kristen Wiig uh, not seeing any colonial ladies on any wings in this one. She's quite serious. It's quite a straight turn from her, and she can do that very, very well. And they have almost a sisterly dynamic, the two of them. She gives her this advice, you need to go out, put yourself out there, before it's too late. So she's 15 years old. I mean, you know, <laughs> she's got this life in her yet. Um, she needs to put herself out there, put a bit of makeup on. And she sort of, Kristen Wiig's character, Charlotte, the mum, kind of welcomes her into this 70s quite kind of licentious slightly druggy world and through that she meets Alexander Skarsgård who's 35 thoughtful nice very very weak minded sort of character yeah an interesting character um you see the good and the bad in him and they fall into this obviously age completely inappropriate relationship and also this kind of weird love triangle forms as well that's not really the essence of the film the essence of the film is the world through this girl's eyes it's a little 400 blowsy in that sense and very very good based on a kind of illustrated novel not a really graphic novel but and some of the illustrations come through on screen there's there's that there's that american splendification mm. where you see the cartoons coming to life and uh the director's definitely worth name checking marielle heller i think does a lovely job with this gets a really good performance out yeah. of all three of her leads bell powley especially um she's very precocious is a terrible word but she's very sort of thoughtful about her um her place in the world and and her sort of sexual journey as it were is is this is the core of the film um but it's very funny in parts it's also very sad and uh, it captures a moment in time in this guy's life and in society as well um we gave it four stars and a glowing recommendation one postscript to that is that this has been given an 18 in this country, so the equivalent of an NC-17. I think it's an R in America, and that's harsh. Yeah. It does also mean that if you are a teenage girl, you're going to struggle to go and see it at the cinema, which I think is a shame. It's try- It's honest and frank. It's not doing these things for, for the kicks. It's showing you things because they're important to this girl's development in her life. I can see why it's got an 18, the letter of the law. It certainly does things that warrant an 18, but... It's a real shame that people can't see it below the age of 18. I think um, it deserves that audience, but yeah. it deserves an audience of all ages because there's something in it, I think, for everyone. Four stars. I would 100% agree with that. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, she's not quite a role model in the sense that, you know, some of her behaviour as she realises herself through the film is not good um, and not n- neither going to make her happy nor, you know, generally a good idea. Um but at the same time, she's such a vibrant personality and mm. such a big personality. And, and she becomes, she, she has such um, kind of fearlessness about pursuing her own desires that she is sort of a, a really inspiring figure in some strange way. She is. I think vibrant's a really good word to describe mm. her and the film. Yeah. It's a film that's full of life and it spills off the screen in a way that, you know, almost demands a second viewing. And and it's very funny, we should say. And it's like, very funny. And it's very hard to capture this... Um, this world, the 70s world of crazy wallpaper and the music and not be a bit cliches and not be a bit, oh, I've seen that before and it feels it feels hackneyed. It isn't. Yeah. It feels quite real and authentic emotionally and physically. Definitely. So that was a big recommendation for us. We gave that four stars. On a, on a side note, this is another total random side note. 
This reminds me of when the first season of Alex Mack, do you remember The Secret World of Alex Mack? That was given a 15 when it was released on DVD because uh, there is a moment where she gets into a hides in a tumble dryer. Bearing in mind this is a TV show in the 90s aimed at kids where she could turn herself into a puddle of moving gloop. So then she hid in a tumble dryer and that got a 15 and they couldn't edit it out because you cannot be shown to wow. offer as a place that you could go play hide and seek in a tumble dryer. So yeah, it's just the letter of the law thing. Like if there is an incident or a moment that means it's that, then you just have to. That's what the BBFC is for. But yeah, it sounds like it's a it's a bit of a shame that it's that it's got the eighteen though. Yeah, definitely. I just want finally to talk about one last film this week. Uh, it's a Spanish drama called Marshland, which is a sort of a a little bit of a Spanish true detective, I guess. So this is set in nineteen eighty in Andalusia. And uh, two detectives, Juan and Pedro, are sent in to investigate uh, a, a disappearance of two sisters. And what they find there is essentially uh, a serial killer. Um, so they're kind of investigating that. What makes this different from just the usual police procedural, although it's a very good one of those, is the fact that it's all taking place against the background of Spain's emergence from fascism under uh, Franco. So you've got the the kind of the, the last vestiges of that kind of uh, political system holding on that kind of political angle complicates the case in ways that I won't get into too much but um, but you do have the the kind of the macro story and the micro story of this of this immediate disappearance kind of blending in a really really clever way this has swept the Goyas the Spanish Oscars um, and it kind of deserved to it's a really very very good film I was going to say that it's interesting political context, a little bit like the the really terrific, I think, Oscar winning The Secret in Their Eyes. Yes. Set against the, 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 the scars of the past. It's, it's always a really interesting place to set a thriller. And like that film, I think it's getting the American remake. Yes. Um, it'll do well to be as stylish and elegant as this particular film. Yeah, absolutely. The, the nighttime car chase especially is, is really impressive. So, yeah, if you if you get the chance, if that's on anywhere near you, I would heavily recommend it. That got another four stars from us. So it's quite a good week outside of the big blockbuster release, at least. So that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when Chris will be back, I believe. And we will also be joined by the people behind Trainwreck, which I assume is a film about the Empire Podcast. Uh I believe that LeBron James is playing me, which is a bold casting choice, but one I I feel sure will will work. Wow, I'll have to let down Ronda Rousey. (laughs) Until then, it's goodbye from Phil. Uh, Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to break into East Berlin in the hope that Henry Cavill will come and rescue me. 